hello amazing people i hope you all are having amazingly awesome time in your life i am simran triplani and i welcome you all to the study with this simran podcast today in this episode we will cover chapter number 19th of grade 11th biology that is excretory products and their elimination without wasting time let's dive into it make sure that you are having your ncrt with you and uh, here we go animals accumulate ammonia urea uric acid carbon dioxide water and ions like sodium potassium chlorine phosphate sulfate etc either by metabolic activities or by other means like excess ingestion these substances have to be removed totally or partially in this chapter we will learn the mechanism of elimination of the substances with uh, space uh, with special emphasis on common nitrogenous waste ammonia urea and uric acid are the major forms of nitrogenous waste excreted by the animals ammonia is the most toxic form and requires a large amount of water for its elimination whereas uric acid being the least toxic can be removed with a minimum loss of water so if they are asking us about the order of toxicity then the decreasing order of toxicity will be ammonia uh, urea and then this uric acid all right now the process of excreting ammonia is ammonotelism many body many bony fishes aquatic amphibians and aquatic insects are ammonotelic in nature ammonia as it as it is readily soluble is generally excreted by diffusion across body surface or through gill surface in fish as ammonium ions kidney do not play any significant role in its removal tertiary adaptation necessitated the production of lesser toxic nitrogenous waste like urea and uric acid for conservation of water okay uh, that's why we, we, we the mammals are actually ureotelic there is not ab- not that much about ab- not water in that abundance that we can excrete out uh, isn't it mammals men many terrestrial amphibians and marine fishes mainly excrete urea and are called ureotelic animals remember mammals mammals is like okay quite simple thing to remember but the later examples like many terrestrial amphibians and marine fishes remember this examples are ter- terrestrial amphibians and marine fishes are ureotelic okay ammonia produced by metabolism is converted into urea in the liver remember in the liver ammonia is converted into urea of these mammals and released into the blood which is filtered and excreted out by the kidneys now some amount of urea may be retained in the kidney matrix of some of these animals to maintain a desired osmolarity okay so yeah that is the concept uh, reptiles now very very important thing reptiles birds land snails and insect excrete nitrogenous waste as uric acid remember the organisms reptiles birds land snails and insects excrete nitrogenous waste as a uric acid in the form of pellet or paste with the minimum loss of water and are called uricotelic animals all right now A survey of animal kingdom presents a variety of excretory structures and most of the invertebrates these structures are simple tubular forms whereas vertebrates have a complex tubular organs called kidneys some of these structures are mentioned here if we talk about this uh, platyhelminthes that protonephridia or flame cells are the excretory structures in platyhelminthes which includes flateworm example planaria remember this platyhelminthes have protonephridia now uh, uh, 
even roti furs and some annelids and uh, uh, this is cephalocorded amphioxus also have this protonephridia very very important line uh, don't uh, don't do a mistake of don't remembering this formula uh, this uh, uh, examples okay very very important line see protonephridia is seen in platyhelminthes rotifers some annelids and the cephalocorded which includes amphioxus all right now Protonephridia are primarily concerned concerned with ionic and fluid volume regulation. There is osmoregulation. Nephridia are the tubular tubular excretory structures of earthworms and other annelids. Nephridia help to remove nitrogenous waste and maintain a fluid and ionic balance. Malphigian tubules are the excretory structures of most of the insects, including cockroaches. All right, now. Malphigian tubes help in the removal of nitrogenous waste and osmoregulation. Antenal glands or green glands perform the excretory function in crustaceans like prawns. Alright, see, Malphigian tubules help in the removal of nitrogenous waste and osmoregulation. There are two functions of Malphigian tubule. One is the nitrogenous waste removal and the second is osmoregulation. So, remember, we, we already know that the NEAT examination is actually now asking question, uh, many questions on the basis of like, uh, uh, there are three statements, choose how many of them are correct. Uh, select uh, which one of these is false statement. So, in that case, this question may come like, uh, Malphigian tubule helps in removal of nitrogenous waste only. If there is only present, then the statement will be false because it is involved in osmoregulation as well. Antenal glands or green glands perform the excretory function in crustaceans like prawns. Remember, in case of prawns, this antenal glands or the green glands are present. Now let's discuss this human excretory system. Uh, in humans, the ex excretory system consists of a pair of kidneys, one pair of ureter. Remember, uh, the question may also come in on the basis of like, you know, uh, select which is odd one out with respect to paired structure or select the odd one out with respect to unpaired structure. So yeah, anything, uh, anything uh, is expected. So everything is expected no, okay uh, not anything uh, i would say uh, well so kidney is like a pair of kidneys are there a one a, a one pair it's just a one a one pair of ureter is there a urinary bladder is there and a urethra is there see urinary bladder is not paired urethra is not paired but ureters and kidneys they both are paired okay so yeah uh, kidney are kidneys are reddish brown bean shaped structures situated between the level of the last thoracic very important line okay uh, remember the location of kidney that is the last thoracic um, and third lumbar vertebrae okay last thoracic and third lumbar vertebrae uh, t5 basically t5 to l3 is the location of kidney we do not have c7 t5 so yeah there is a last thoracic and third lumbar vertebrae close to the dorsal inner wall of the abdominal cavity see remember it's close to the dorsal inner they may write ventral in place of dorsal so uh, remember it's not ventral it's dorsal inner wall of the abdominal cavity okay each kidney of an adult human measures around 10 to 12 centimeter in length 5 to 7 centimeter in width 2 to 3 centimeter in thickness with an average weight of about remember the weight is a uh, measurement uh, may not be much important but this weight is actually important this weight is like 120 to 170 uh, gram okay remember this 
Now, towards the center of the inner concave surface of the kidney, remember it's a concave surface. You will see the uh, uh, towards the center of the inner concave surface of the kidney is a notch called hilum through which ureter blood vessel and nerves enter there are three things which are actually coming from that notch hilum uh, the three things are ureter very very important thing keep in mind there is ureter blood vessel and nerves ureter blood vessel and nerves enter from this hilum all right now inner to the hilum is a broad funnel shaped space called the renal pelvis with projection called calysis uh, you can uh, see in the figure this pelvis are there and uh, uh, yeah calysis are not you know mm, labeled anyways uh, we will uh, we can see their uh, funnel shaped uh, what is written here uh, funnel shaped space called the renal pelvis which is actually having the projection you can see even you know kind of rays or kind of something is there this projection are considered as the calysis the outer layer of a kidney is a tough capsule inside the kid inside the kidney there are two zones an outer cortex and an inner medulla okay outer cortex inner medulla uh inner medulla just remember it is I, I always get confused like what is out and what is in so we we you should keep in mind that outer is the cortex and inner is the uh, medulla i am simbran kriplani i say an i am simbran kriplani so remember it like this i am i am stands for inner and it is a medulla okay i'm just doing random things i don't know but uh, yeah i hope it may you know blinks to you while you are attempting a paper so yeah uh, it is the inner is the medulla the medulla is divided into a few conical masses that is medullary pyramids projecting into the calysis that is singular calyx okay see the medulla is divided now medulla is the inner one so medulla is divided into few conical masses that are the medullary pyramids projecting into the calysis or which we already seen which are the projection kind of thing uh, inside this pelvis which are present in the medullary region so the cortex exchange in between the medullary pyramids as a renal columns called the columns of bertini so the space between this you know uh, medullary pyramids is considered as these columns of bertini you can clearly see the columns of bertini in the diagram as well uh, isn't it now uh, next thing is uh, yeah each kidney has nearly 1 million remember the term they may give uh, as a, any random number like 2 million 5 million or it can be billion or it can be in K alright so make sure you are aware that each kidney has nearly 1 million complex tubular structures called nephrons 1 million okay complex tubular structures called nephrons alright now uh, which are the functional unit so if anyone asks you what is the functional unit of kidney then your answer should be like nephrons even at 3 a.m at night okay now each nephron has two parts the glomerulus and the renal tubule each nephron has two parts which are present actually in the you know um, uh, medullary and cortex region and each nephron is actually having two parts one is the glomerulus and the second is the renal tubule glomerulus is a tuft of a capillaries formed by the efferent arteriole a fine branch of renal artery so glomerulus is something which is actually consisting of efferent arteriole which is actually a branch of a renal artery remember renal artery okay the renal v renal v 
vein is having a, a minimum urea and hepatic vein is having a maximum urea remember this okay it's just a kind of uh, thing I, I i got in my mind so i thought i should share it with you it, it's, it's not the right time to share it, it will be uh, there in the letter section of this chapter but anyways the renal tubule begin uh, well uh, where be there uh, uh, Mm, yeah, glomerulus is a tuft of capillaries formed by the efferent arteriole. Just check the diagram uh, below figure 19.3. Okay, uh, blood from the glomerulus is carried away by an efferent arteriole. So you can see the efferent arteriole is also, you know, kind of connected with glomerulus. And uh, uh, this efferent arteriole is actually taking blood away. See, now how to remember efferent and efferent what is their role e e efferent starts from e isn't it so e and exit exit also starts from e so e e both the things are same that's why efferent arteriole is actually taking a blood away from the uh, glomerulus all right now the renal tubule the renal tubule begins with a double walled cup like structure called bowman's capsule uh, okay Call, uh, consist of a uh, Bowman's capsule. You can see that uh, there is a Bowman's capsule mentioned in the diagram, which includes encloses the glomerulus. Glomerulus, along with Bowman's capsule, is called the Malfeasian body or renal carpal. Remember the terminology. It's it's quite you know kind of kind of you know uh, trap. They are you know kind of trying to uh, spread a net so we can you know uh, kind of uh, get uh, trapped in it. So remember that glomerulus along with Bowman's capsule is called as the Malfeasian body or renal corpuscles. Don't get confused between the two terms Malfeasian body and renal corpuscle. They both are the one and the same thing. Or wherever you see the or term, it means that they are one and same thing. Like SN node is similar to this uh, pacemaker, isn't it? Uh, mitral valve is similar to the bicuspid valve. So yeah, like that. The, tu uh, the tubule continues. Further to form a highly coiled network, there is a proximal convoluted tubule uh, that is a PCT. So after from Bowman's capsule uh, comes this uh, tubular coiled, highly coiled network-like structure you can see in the diagram that is PCT, that is proximal convoluted tubule. Right now we are just you know kind of doing morphology or you can see the anatomy of kidney. We are not doing any function or which. We are not understanding the process right now. We will discuss in the letter section. See, a heparin shaped a hair, sorry, not heparin, I'm sorry. A hairpin shaped Henley's loop uh, is the next part of the tubule which has a descending and an ascending leaf. Uh, so, following proximal convoluted tubule is the Henley, Henley's loop which includes this descending and an ascending limb. So, descending limb is permeable. Uh, well, well, we will discuss it later. Oh, the ascending limb continues as another highly coiled tubular structure is called the distal convoluted tubule. So the ascending limb actually is giving rise to distal convoluted tubule. All right. The DCD of many nephrons open into a straight tube called the collecting duct, many of which converge and open into the renal pelvis through the medullary uh, pyramids in the calysis. All right. So these are the struct. This was a structure of nephron and this collecting duct together. Uh, you know in a 
they actually converge together and open into a renal pathways uh, through medullary pyramids in the calyces, isn't it? Which we uh, just uh, just uh, not a, a great few minutes ago, uh, isn't it? The malfeasant corpuscles uh, PCT and DCT, malfeasant corpuscle. But if I ask you what is malfeasant corpuscle, then that it, it actually includes two things. That is uh, uh, this glomerulus and this woman's uh, capsule which actually includes this malfeasant body or the renal corpuscles all right so this malfeasant corpuscles like glomerulus then bowman's capsule pct and dct of a nephron are situated in the cortical region of the kidney whereas the loop of henley dips into the medulla in the uh, okay so remember this it is like uh, medulla is contains this loop of henley and uh, pct dct and malfeasant corpuscles which includes this Bowman's capsule and glomerulus are included in the cortical region or the cortex region of this kidney whereas the loop of Henle is uh, deep into the whereas the loop of Henle dips into the medulla all right in majority of the nephrons the loop of Henle is too short and extends only very little into the medulla such uh, such nephrons are called cortical nephrons when the uh, when the uh, when the Henle's loop is quite small so most of the major section like PCT DCT uh, glomerulus and Bowman's capsule are in the cortex region but only the later section is in the medullary uh, region that's why uh, that kind of nephrons which have a short loop of short loop of henley is considered as the cortical nephrons all right so um, uh, and that is in seen in case in majority it is seen there are mostly cortical nephrons are there in some of the nephrons the loop of henley is very long and runs deep into the medulla this is the nephrons are called juxtamedullary nephrons so yeah now the efferent arterial which you know kind of takes away this uh, uh what it takes away this efferent arteriole uh, what we just read isn't it that uh, i don't want to do any kind of uh, you know blunder like that like that so see your efferent uh, arteriole is actually carrying a blood from the glomerulus all right i was like i don't know why was i getting confused so yeah it is a blood which is carried by the efferent arteriole so the efferent arteriole emerging from the glomerulus forms a fine capillary network around the renal tubule called the peritubular capillaries a minute vessel of this network runs parallel to the henley's loop forming a u-shaped vasa recta so this vasa recta is actually emerging from this uh, uh you know this efferent arterial all right so keep this in mind very 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 important line i guess i i think i noticed this line for the first time i don't know what i was doing when i was reading this ncrt before <laughs> well anyways if uh efferent arterial is giving rise to vasarecta u uh, u-shaped vasarecta which is you know kind of running parallel to the until uh, uh loop vasarecta is absent or highly reduced in cortical nephrons uh, all right that is made majorly found in case of uh, juxtamedullary nephrons so again this is very 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 important line uh, five star line uh, remember vasa recta is absent or highly reduced in cortical nephrons now we will discuss this urine formation uh, and the further part of this chapter like function of the tubules and all in the uh, next segment uh, take a little break like just a four to five seconds and we will finish this chapter two here is a quick update. I told you that uh, we, we, we read that kidney is placed at the 
last thoracic cavity and i was like the last thoracic sorry yeah last thoracic vertebrae yeah so i was like the last vertebrae is t5 but no i was wrong the correct answer is like it's t12 not t5 so yeah correct it all right and lumbar 3 to t12 to lumbar 3 is the position of a kidney all right so yes urine formation now uh, urine formation involves three main processes namely glomerular filtration reabsorption and secretion that takes place in different parts of the nephron the first step in urine formation is the filtration of blood which is carried out by glomerulus and is called as the glomerular filtration okay on an average around remember the values are uh, 1100 to 1200 ml of blood is filtered by the kidneys per minute which constitute roughly one-fifth of the blood pumped out by each ventricle of the heart in a minute all right so the efficiency of heart is much five times higher than this efficiency of kidney isn't it the glomerular capillary blood pressure causes filtration of blood through three layers that is endothelium of glomerular blood vessel uh, the epithelium of the blood vessel and the basement membrane between these two layers remember this basement membrane is a uni acellular okay it is a kind of unicellular it's not multicellular if they're asking you how many multicellular layers are present in glom uh, there's a glomerular uh, you know in in in, in glomerular uh, blood vessel then your answer should be two because this basement membrane is actually you know uh, single layered or acellular you not a single layer i should i should better use the term acellular all right now the epithelial cells of a bowman's capsule called podocytes are arranged in an intricate manner so as to leave some minute space called filtration cellage or silt pores Blood is filtered so finely through these membranes that almost all the constituent of the plasma except the proteins pass onto the lumen of the Bowman's capsule. Therefore, it is considered as a process of ultrafiltration. Okay, so what is happening over here? Uh, remember, blood is filtered so finely through these membranes that almost all the constituent of the plasma except the protein. Alright, remember, except the protein. Otherwise, all the constituent of plasma are getting, you know, passing into the lumen of Bowman's capsule, which is next to the glomerulus. And therefore, it is considered as a process of ultrafiltration, which is actually separating the proteins out. Now, the amount of filtrate produced, formed, uh, see, the amount of filtrate formed by the kidneys per minute is called the glomerular filtration rate. Uh, filtrate, okay, so that is the filtrate formation rate. So the GFR in a healthy individual is approximately 125 ml per minute, that is 180 liters per day. Quite a huge number, isn't it? So 180 liters per day is actually filtered from this. Uh, uh, glomerulus all right that uh, three layers of glomerulus which are you know there's a uh, end endothelium epithelium outermost is you know there's a uh, three layers like endothelium then comes this epithelium of a bowman's capsule and then comes this basement membrane which is between this two layers endothelium is the inner one epithelium is the outer one and the middle one is the bowman's capsule uh, Alright, you you can actually uh, check the diagram of uh, you know this uh, 
malfeasian body or renal corpuscle. Though the labeling is not there, but anyways. Uh, well, the kidneys have a built-in mechanism for the regulation of glomerular filtration rate. One such efficient mechanism is carried out by a juxta glomerular apparatus, that is JGA. It is a special sensitive region, uh, actually, uh, you know, formed by uh, cellular modification in the distal convoluted tubule and uh, the apparent arteriole at the location of their contact. Okay, let's read this line again. JGA is a special sensitive or region formed by cellular modification in the distal convoluted tubule and the efferent arteriole at the location of their contact. We know that DCPCT, DCT, glomerulus and Bowman's capsule are, you know, kind of placed together in the cortex region. So this uh, DC, uh, DCT and uh, this afferent cells are actually, you know, uh, cells release a renin which can stimulate the, uh, well, uh, they are actually, you know, kind of uh, doing cellular modification which is helping in uh, regulation of uh, glomerular filtration rate, okay. So, if there is a fold, a fold in GFR can activate the juxtra glomerular cells to release renin which can stimulate the glomerular blood flow and thereby the GFR back to normal. So, what is the function of renin here? That is R-E-N-I-N. Very, very important. Note the spelling over here. That is R-E single N-I-N. If there is double N, then that is involved in uh, you know uh, protein synthesis in case of infant isn't it but here this renin is uh, present in uh, adults as well and it is involved in controlling the glomerular filtration rate if there is a fall in GFR then the, the role of renin is to bring the GFR rec, uh, rate back to the normal alright now uh, a comparison of the volume of the filtrate formed per day, that is 180 liters per day, uh, with that the urine released, which is 1.5 liter, suggests that nearly 99% of the filtrate has to be reabsorbed by the renal tubules, isn't it? Uh, otherwise, 150 liters, 180 liters per day, how it, it's quite a huge loss of water, isn't it? This process is called reabsorption. So, first step was, you know, uh, uh, first step was uh, glomerular filtration and the second step is reabsorption. We can't, uh, uh, you know, release 180 liters per day. 1.5 liter is like, you know, kind of quite feasible, but uh, 180 liters too high. The tubule, tubule, so there are, uh, uh, there is a reabsorption mechanism also involved. The tubular epithelial cells in a different segment of nephron perform this either by the active, active or passive mechanism. So, there's, uh, you know, tubules like PCT, DCT, etc. are involved in this reabsorption process. For example, uh, substances like glucose, amino acid, sodium, etc. in the filtrate are reabsorbed actively. Whereas, remember, okay, uh, glucose, amino acid and sodium, they are absorbed actively. Remember this thing actively, okay. Whereas, nitrogenous wastes are absorbed by passive transport. Alright, keep this in mind. Uh, don't get confused while attempting a paper. Reabsorption of, and this implies to me as well, okay. 
reabsorption of water also occurs passively in the initial segments of the nephron. So you can say that water is transported actively as well and passively as well because they are writing here clearly that uh, it occurs passively in the initial segments of nephron. Okay, in the initial segments of nephron. Uh, so in the later segments of nephron, we may see the active transport of water, isn't it? So yeah, during during formation, the tubular cells secrete substances like H plus. K plus and ammonium ion into the field rate, you know, to kind of balance this uh, uh, osmotic balance, uh, maintain the osmotic balance. They even release the ions. Uh, tubular secretion was also an important step in urine formation as it is help in maintenance of ionic and acidic ba base balance of a body fluids. So, uh, see, tubular, tubular, yeah, mark my terms. Tubular secretion is also an important step in urine formation as it helps in the maintenance of ionic and acid base balance of body fluids. So, yeah, these are the three steps actually involved in urine formation. Generally, actually, we had, you know, kind of concluded what actually this excretion process is. Now, we're gonna uh, see how this uh, is actually happening in a, even a little more detail. So, the three steps are uh, uh, filtration, reabsorption, and secretion. Quite simple, isn't it? Now, uh, now let's discuss what are the functions of the tubules. So the proximal convoluted tubule that is a PCT, it is lined by a simple cuboidal brush border epithelial which increases the surface area of the reabsorption. We know that uh, there's a renal tubule that are involved in the reabsorption process. So they have simple cubule, uh, cuboidal brush border epithelium which increases the, increase the surface area. Nearly all of the essential nearly all of the essential nutrients and 70 to 80 percent of electrolytes and water are reabsorbed by this segment. PCT also helps to maintain the pH and ionic balance of the body fluids by selective secretion of C. PCT also helps to maintain the pH. Okay, it also helps to maintain the pH and ionic balance of the body fluids by selective secretion of hydrogen ions, ammonia and potassium into uh, potassium ions into the filtrate and by absorption of HCO3- from it. So see, PCT also helps to maintain the pH and ionic balance of the body fluids by selective secretion of hydrogen ions, ammonia and potassium ions into the filtrate and by absorption of HCO3- from it. So you can clearly see that this PCT is involved in two steps of uh, urine formation. One is the, you know, that reabsorption step and second is the secretion step. You, you, it is clearly mentioned here. Now if we talk about the handler's loop, then reabsorption is minimum in its ascending limb. Very, very important line. Reabsorption is minimum in its ascending limb. However, this region plays a significant role in maintenance of high osmolarity of medullary interstitial fluid. The descending limb of a loop of Henle is permeable to water but almost impermeable to electrolytes. This concentrates the filtrate as it moves down. So mainly the function of a Henle's loop is to create a concentration gradient so that you know there is a movement of uh, flow of uh, you know uh, fluid takes place very easily. The ascending limb is impermeable to water but allows transport of electrolytes actively or passively. Therefore, as the concentrated filtrate passes upward, it gets diluted due to the passage of electrolytes to the medullary fluid. Now, see. Let's read this last line again. Therefore, as the concentrated filtrate passes upward, it gets diluted due to the passage of electrolytes to the medullary fluid. All right. So uh, the thing is, descending loop is permeable to water. 
and impermeable to ions all right but if we talk about the ascending limb then it is uh, you know impermeable this ascending limb is impermeable to uh, water but it's permeable to electrolytes uh, just completely opposite to the you know ascending limb uh, sorry uh, descending limb descending limb is permeable to water and uh, ascending limb is permeable to electrolytes okay now let's discuss what is distal convolutic tubule or the density conditional reabsorption of sodium and water uh, take place in this pigment remember the mark the term okay conditional reabsorption dct is also capable of the reabsorption of hco3 minus and selective secretion of hydrogen potassium ions and nh3 to maintain the ph and sodium potassium balance in the blood all right and then if we talk about the collecting duct, then this long duct extends from the cortex of the kidney to the inner parts of the medulla. Uh, you know, it is, you know, the uh, uh, converts. There are so many uh, efferent arterioles. No, there are so many efferent arterioles uh, actually uh, converging or giving rise to this. Uh, Listen, listen. It, see, it's 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 not efferent arterial converging. It's distal convoluted tubule or the DCT converging. So these are the highlights or the mistake which we are preparing uh, doing right now uh, to prevent those mistakes in our neat examination. So remember, the DCT converges to form this uh, uh, collecting duct, not efferent. Efferent arterial actually you know give rise to vasa recta in some cases. Otherwise, uh, if vasa recta is present. So collecting duct is a, you know the long duct exchange from the cortex of the kidney to the inner parts of the medulla. Large amount of water could be reabsorbed from this region to produce a concentrated urine. This segment allow a passage of small amount of urea, small amount of urea into the medullary interstitium to keep up the osmolarity. It also plays a role in the maintenance of pH and ionic balance of a blood by the selective secretion of hydrogen and potassium ions all right now let's discuss the mechanism of concentration of the filtrate uh, where this uh, counter current mechanism actually comes into the picture and it's very simple you should not you know uh, be worried of it it's just the role of vasa recta which is uh, you know explained See, mammals have the ability to produce a concentrated urine. The Henle's loop and vasa recta plays a import plays a play a significant role in this. So the function of Henle's loop and vasa recta is actually you know to produce a concentrated urine, uh, depending upon the amount of water present inside our body. The flow of filtrate in the tool we will uh, see like uh, in the regulation section, like uh, how this amount of water quantity affects the uh, affects this urine formation cycle. The flow of filtrate in the two limbs of Henle, Henle's loop is in opposite direction and thus forms a counter current. See, the flow of filtrate in the two limbs of Henle's loop is in opposite direction and thus forms a counter current. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, the flow of blood through the two limbs of Vasa recta is also in counter current patterns. So you can see the ascending limb and descending limb. Their flows is actually opposite. One is coming down and one is come going up. So this opposite flow is actually, you know, kind of uh, uh, forcing or uh, responsible for concentration of uh, urine, isn't it? Uh, uh, this is the same thing happening in case of vasa recta as well. The proximity between the Henle's loop and vasa recta as well as the counter current in 
them helps in maintaining and increasing osmolarity towards the inner medullary interstitium that is from 300 milli osmol per liter in the cortex to about 1200 milli osmol per liter in the inner medulla. Now see, uh, the proximity between the Henle's loop and vasa recta as well as the counter current in them help in maintaining and increasing osmolarity towards the inner medullary interstitium that is from 300 milliosmol in the cortex to about 1200 milliosmol in the inner medulla. So you know this kind of gradient are actually uh, responsible. The gradient is mainly caused by NaCl and urea. NaCl is transported by the ascending limb of Henle's loop which is exchanged with the descending limb of vasa recta. We know that ascending limb is actually permeable to NaCl and descending limb is uh, impermeable. Descending limb of Henle's loop is impermeable to electrolytes unlike vasa, uh, unlike the descending limb of vasa recta which is you know permeable. It seems it is permeable to electrolytes. NaCl is returned to the interstitium by the ascending portion of vasa recta. Similarly a small amount of urea enter a thin segment of ascending limb of Henle's loop which is transported back to the interstitium by the collecting tubule. The above described process of substance is facilitated by the special arrangement of Henle's loop and vasa recta is called the counter current mechanism and this mechanism helps to maintain the concentration gradient uh, in the medullary interstitium. So before going ahead I would like to read this paragraph once again so that we can you know have a good hold over it good hold over it all right see the proximity between the henle's loop and vasa recta as well as the counter current in them help in maintaining and increasing osmolarity towards the inner medullary interstitium that is from 300 milli osmol per liter in the cortex to about 1200 milli osmol per liter in the inner medulla this gradient is mainly caused by how is this gradient caused so um, this gradient is caused by NaCl and urea. I remember this. NaCl is transported by the ascending uh, ascending uh, limb of Henle's loop. You can uh, check the diagram. Like in the Henle's loop, NaCl is actually you know uh, getting transported and uh, and it is uh, actually uh, you know uh, absorbed by. Uh, descending uh, exchanged with the descending limb of vasa recta okay uh, instead of uh, putting this vasa recta separate they should have you know put it uh, this vasa recta above this nephron for our better understanding i, I thought that too, that should be you know, uh, a suggestion to ncrt diagram people all right nsel is returned to the interstitium by the ascending portion of the vasa recta uh, because it is impermeable, uh, so yeah, it is you know again back to the uh, uh, interstitial fluid where it was uh, before. Uh, similarly, the small amount of urea enter a thin segment of ascending limb of Henle's loop, which is transported back to the interstitium by the collecting tubule. The above described transport of substance is facilitated by the special arrangement of Henle's loop. Yeah, that, that, that that's what that we know this. Uh, so yeah, in, in you can uh, this diagram is you know self-explanatory, trying to explain so many things. Uh, see, in ascending loop, you can see it is permeable to electrolyte. That why that's why it is releasing NaCl, and this NaCl is actually getting absorbed by this uh, 
you know descending loom limb of uh, descending loop of uh, vasa recta which is again permeable to nsl or the electrolytes and this nsl is again released in the interstitial fluids and uh, water secretion is also uh, taking place with the help of descending limb descending loop of uh, henry uh, and to maintain the osmolarity balance so that's it remember the outer membrane is con uh, around 600 milli osmol uh, per liter then inner inner medulla is having you know there's a uh, 900 milli osmol per liter then the nephron the actually the uh, deeper part of the nephron is having 1200 milli osmol per liter and the cortex region is having 300 milli osmol per liter and if you talk about the difference then it is around 900 milli osmol per liter between the cortex and the inner nephron all right now uh, presence of such interstitial gradient helps in an easy passage of water from the collecting tubule thereby concentrating the filtrate that is the urine human kidneys can produce urine nearly four times concentrated than the initial filtrate form so because of this concentrated concentration gradient uh, our kidneys can actually produce a urine uh, four times concentration four times concentrated than the you know initial filtrate uh, formed all right now uh, now let's discuss this uh, how this uh, uh, kidneys function are uh, actually regulated in the next segment well regulation of uh, 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 regulation of kidney function now uh, the functioning of the kidneys efficiently monitored and regu uh, regulated by the hormonal feedback mechanism involving the hypothalamus dextrogromelular apparatus which you know includes this uh, uh, distal convoluted tubule and this afferent uh, arterioles and to a certain extent the heart osmoreceptors in the body are activated by the changes in blood volume body fluid volume and ionic concentration an excessive loss of fluid from the body can activate the receptors which stimulate the hypothalamus to release antidiuretic hormone uh, that is ADH or the vasopressin from the neurohypophysis so ADH facilitates water reabsorption from latter parts of the tubule thereby preventing diuresis so the urine is not uh, you know diluted even more it's you know kind of even more concentrated so the function of ADH or the antidiuretic hormone is to make the urine even more concentrated so the ADH facilitates water reabsorption from the latter parts of the tubule thereby preventing diuresis An increase in the body fluid volume can switch off the osmoreceptor and suppress the ADH release to complete the feedback. So if there are enough amount of water availability is that then there is no need of ADH and osmoreceptor even suppress the ADH release. ADH can also affect the kidney function by its constrictory effects on blood vessels. This causes an increase in blood pressure. An increase in blood pressure can increase the glomerular blood flow and thereby the GFR. So this, uh, um, remember, if there is a decrease or fall of GFR, uh, we, we, we discussed uh, earlier like renin is involved to uh, 
plays an important role in bringing the GFR back. So here again, this ADH is also involved in uh, uh, somewhat involved in uh, you know glomerular filtration rate or the GFR. The juxtaglomerular apparatus plays a complex regulatory role. A fall in the G G glomerular blood flow or the glomerular blood pressure or the GFR can activate the JG cell to release renin, which converts. Now uh, we were just we just were aware that renin is renin is involved in uh, you know bringing this uh, GFR uh, to back to normal but how it is actually happening so yeah it is converting it converts this angiotensinogen in blood to angiotensinogen 1 and further to angiotensinogen 2 so there is angiotensinogen in the blood which is actually uh, uh, converted into angiotensinogen 1 and then into angiotensinogen into 2 so this angiotensinogen 2 angiotensin it is not angiotensinogen it's angiotensin 2 being a powerful glomerular uh, powerful uh, uh, being a powerful vasoconstrictor increases the glomerular filtration uh, glomerular blood pressure and therefore glomerular filtration rate angiotensin 2 also activates the adrenal cortex to release aldosterone all right Aldosterone causes the reabsorption of sodium and water from the distal parts of the tubule. Uh, this also leads to an increase in blood pressure and GFR. This complex mechanism is generally known as the renin angiotensin mechanism. An increase in blood flow in the atria of the heart can cause the release of and atrial natriuretic factor that is the ANF and ANF can cause vasodilation that is a dilation of blood vessel and thereby decrease the blood pressure and uh, ANF mechanism therefore act as a check on the renin angiotensin uh, mechanism all right uh, so see this ANF is involved in uh, uh, decreasing the blood pressure all right if it is decreasing the blood pressure it means that it is uh, uh, you know decreasing the glomerular filtration rate so atrial natriuretic factor is involved in decreasing the uh, uh, blood uh, decreasing the GFR uh, that's why it is said written over here that is it is a check on the renin angiotensin mechanism if there is a too much of renin angiotensin mechanism involved like there is a uh, too uh, high uh, GFR rate then to reduce it that is a eighty ANF that is atrial natriuretic factor also available to decrease the you know uh, GFR rate now let's discuss this micturation what this micturation actually is so the urine formed by the nephron is ultimately carried to the urinary bladder where it is stored till a voluntary signal is given by the central nervous system that is CNS. This signal is initiated by the stretching of the urinary bladder as it gets filled with the urine and responds the stretch receptor on the walls of the bladder sends signal to the CNS. The CNS passes on the motor motor the CNS passes on motor messages to initiate the concentration of smooth muscles of the bladder and simultaneous relaxation of the urethral sphincter causing the release of urine. The process of release of urine is called micturation and the neural mechanism causing it is called the micturation reflex. An adult human excretes on average 1 to 1.5 liters of urine per day. Alright, the urine found is a light yellow colored watery fluid which is slightly acidic like around pH. 6.0 and is a characteristic order all right on an average 25 to 30 gram of urea is excreted out per day various conditions can affect 
fit the characteristics of you it see uh, let's read this again like it doesn't makes any sense to me at least to me i think uh see urine combed by the nephrod is ultimately carried to the urinary bladder where it is stored till a voluntary signal is given by the central nervous system all right it is a kind of voluntary uh, reflex uh, this signal is initiated by the stretching of the urinary bladder as it gets filled with urine in response the stretch receptor on the walls of the bladder sends signals to the cns the cns passes on a motor message to initiate the contraction of smooth muscles of the bladder and simultaneous relaxation of the urethral sphincter causing the release of urine the process of release of urine is called the micturition and the neural mechanism causing it is called the micturition reflex an adult human excretes on an average of 1 to 1.5 liters of urine per day now very important line ah, now it actually made a sense i don't know what i was thinking i actually whatever uh, 1 to 1.5 liters per day is uh, urine is excreted so it is very important to you know say in present Uh, the urine foam is a light yellow colored watery fluid which is slightly acidic okay remember this and the ph is 6 and it is having a characteristic odor because of you know ammonia present inside it ammonia uh, being more accurate let's say the urea on an average 25 to 30 g of urea is excreted out per day very very important remember its ph is 6 and uh, the uh, uh, amount is like 25 to 30 g of urea is excreted out per day various conditions can affect the characteristic of a urine analysis of urine helps in clinical diagnosis of many metabolic uh, disorders as well as the malfunctioning of the kidney for example presence of glucose that is a glycosuria and ketone bodies that is a ketonuria in urine are in, in, in indicative of diabetes mellitus now What is the role of other organ in excretion? You know, this is the beautiful paragraph. I like this paragraph most. I don't know why, but yeah, that's very easy paragraph. I I feel like, uh, other than the kidneys, lungs, liver, and skin also help in the elimination of excretory waste. Our lungs remove large amount of CO two, approximately two hundred mL per minute, and also significant quantities of water every day. Very very important. Now remember this: lungs are actually removing. a uh, large amount of co2 and significant quantity of water on our daily basis and if you talk about the you know the volume of co2 removed then it is like 200 ml per minute liver is the largest liver the largest gland in our body secretes bile containing substances like bilirubin bilirubin cholesterol uh, degrades steroid hormones vitamins and drugs which are you know directly or indirectly involved in a in the fecal ejection most of the substances ultimately pass out along with uh, digestive wastes isn't it the sweat and sebaceous gland very important paragraph very my actually favorite paragraph the sw- uh, sweat not sweat the sweat and sebaceous glands in the skin can eliminate certain substances through their secretion sweat produced by the sweat gland is watery fluid containing nacl small amount of urea lactic acid etc remember the constituent of sweat that is like uh, uh, um, NaCl that is sodium chloride a small amount of urea that is NH2CO NH2 and lactic acid uh, etc all right now though the primary function of sweat is uh, you must be wondering what is the formula of lactic acid so it is C3H6O 
O3. Alright, that is the formula of lactic acid. So, these are, you know, the constituents of the sweat. And uh, though the primary function of sweat is to facilitate a cooling effect on the body surface, it also helps in the removal of some of the waste mentioned above. Sebaceous glands eliminate a certain uh, substances like sterols, hydrocarbons and waxes through sebum. Uh, this secretion provides a protective oily covering for the skin. Uh, do you know that the small amount of nitrogenous waste could be eliminated through saliva too? Alright, now uh, you must be wondering what this uh, sebum actually is. We, we must have you know sometimes felt like you know kind of layer formed on our face like oily layer which is uh, actually uh, beneficial like you know it protects our skin that oily layer is actually the constituent of any kind of fat molecules and it actually is a, a sebum that is only the sebum okay uh, here the it is written clearly that is protective oily covering for the skin all right now uh, Let's discuss the disorders of the excretory system. Uh, malfunctioning of kidney can lead to accumulate of urea. Uh, accumulation of see malfunctioning of kidneys can lead to uh, accumulation of urea in a blood, a condition called uremia, which is highly harmful and may lead to the kidney failure. In such patients, urea can be removed by a process called hemodialysis. Okay. During the process of hemodialysis, the blood drained from a convenient artery is pumped into a dialysing unit called artificial kidney. Blood drained from a convenient artery is pumped into a dialysing unit after adding an anticoagulant like heparin to prevent you know, the coagulation. The unit contains a coiled seal of a tube surrounded by a fluid that is dialyzing fluid having the same composition as that of plasma except the nitrogenous waste. Uh, okay, so it is kind of filtering process. The porous seal of a membrane of the tube allows the passage of uh, uh, passage of molecules based on the concentration gradient as the nitrogenous wastes are absent in the dialyzing fluid this substance freely move out thereby clearing the blood uh, it is basically the you know uh, principle is the osmolarity or the concentration difference gradient okay it's playing the important role the cleared blood is pumped back to the body through a vein after adding anti-heparin to it this method is a boon for thousands of uremic patients all over the world a kidney transplantation is the ultimate method in this correction of actual renal failures like kidney failure a functioning kidney is used in the transplantation from a donor preferably a close relative to minimize its chance of rejection by the immune system of the host uh, modern clinical procedures have increased the success rate of such a complicated technique. Now, if we talk about the renal calculi, then stone or insoluble mass of uh, crystallite salts like oxalates, etc., formed within the kidneys. See, renal calculi it is a stone or insoluble mass of crystallite salts example like oxalates etc which are formed uh, see stones or insoluble mass of crystallite salts oxalates etc formed within the body is actually the renal calculi glomerular glomerulonephritis is the inflammation of glomeruli of kidney now let's discuss the summary uh, many nitrogen containing substances ions uh, carbon dioxide water etc many nitrogen containing substances ions carbon dioxide water etc that accumulate in the body have to be eliminated nature of nitrogenous waste formed and their excretion vary among animals mainly depending mainly depending on the habitat availability of water okay uh, 
uh, see the nature of nitrogenous waste formed and that excretion vary among animals mainly depending on the habitat availability of water ammonia urea and uric acid are the major nitrogenous waste excreted protonephridia nephridia malphigen tubules and green glands are the kidneys uh, and the kidneys are the common excretory organs in the animals they are not only eliminated they not only eliminate nitrogenous waste but also help in the maintenance of ionic and acidic uh, acid base balance of body fluids in humans the excretory system consists of one pairs of kidneys a pair of ureters a urinary bladder and a urethra its kidney has over a million tubular structures called nephrons and nephron is the functional unit of kidney and has two portions glomerulus and the renal tubuli glomerulus is a tuft of capillaries formed from afferent arterial fine branches of renal artery the renal tubule starts with a double walled bowman's capsule remember the bowman's capsule is double walled and is further differentiated into a pct henle's uh, loop and dct the dct or the distal convoluted tubule of a many nephron joint to joint to a common collecting duct many of which ultimately opens into a renal pelvis through the medullary pyramids the bowman's capsule encloses the glomerulus to form a malphigen or renal corpuscle Uh, see the DCT of a many nephron joined to a common collecting duct, many of which ultimately open into the renal pelvis through the medullary pyramids. Very important line. Huh? Uh, urine formation involves three main processes. Example that is filtration, reabsorption, and secretion. We discuss them in detail. Filtration is a non-selective process performed by the glomerulus using the glomerular capillary blood pressure. About 1,200 ml of blood is filtered by the glomerulus per minute to uh, to form 125 ml of filtrate in the uh, Bowman's capsule. Uh, you know per uh, per minute uh, there is a GFR a JG a specialized portion of the nephrons play a significant role in the regulation of GFR nearly 99% of the area absorption of the filtrate takes place uh, through the different parts of the nephrons PCT is the major site of reabsorption very very important PCT is the major site of reabsorption and uh, selective secretion uh, Henley's loop uh, primarily helps to maintain osmolar gradient that is about 300 milliosmol per liter to around 1200 milliosmol per liter within the kidney interstitium. DCT and collecting duct allow extensive reabsorption of water and certain electrolytes which help in osmoregulation that is uh, hydrogen, potassium, ammonia could be secreted into the filtrate by the tubules to maintain the ionic balance and pH of body fluids. A counter current mechanism operates between the two limbs of the loop of Henle and those of vasa recta this is a capillary parallel to the henley's loop the filtrate get uh, the filtrate get concentrated as it moves down the descending limb but is diluted by the ascending limb all right see descending limb is actually permeable to water so it actually loses water and makes the filtrate concentrated unlike ascending loop which is permeable to electrolyte so it loses electrolyte and uh, forms the diluted uh, diluted uh, filtrate electrolytes and urea are retained in the interstitium by this arrangement dct and collecting the concentrate the filtrate about four times that is from 300 milliosmoles to 1200 milliosmol per liter an excellent me mechanism of conversion of water uh, isn't it you 
urine is stored in the urinary bladder tail a voluntary signal from cns carries out its release through urethra that is a micturition skin lungs and liver also assist in excretion and here we finish our this chapter and uh, here is one uh, you know kind of suggestion if, if you are having uh, here is one kind of information if you are having any kind of suggestion then uh, you can contact me on my insta handle at simran b underscore kirplani and uh, keep studying now it's your duty to uh, solve the further mcq keep studying uh take care bye bye thank you